Well, good morning, Mercy Road Church. How you doing this morning? Awesome. It's so good to have you guys here. If you guys are new and you don't know who I am, my name is Rob Elder, and I am the online pastor here. And since the last time I spoke last year, I've added two new titles. So my, my titles are getting longer here. Uh, I am now overseeing our Discipleship Huddle Network, and I am also Mvita Elder's husband. There's a picture of my wife up here preaching. Yeah, give her a big hand. Uh, this is her at Good Friday, and uh, I'm just really proud of my wife and uh, excited that she's on staff now. People are coming up to me, and they're saying, they're saying, hey, are you, you're Invita's husband? I didn't know that. And so it used to be the other way around because I've been around uh, up front a little bit more often, or actually at the end of the service online. If I cut any of you guys off, if you've been watching online and you see my picture come up and you're like, oh, where's the rest of the worship? Well, sorry about that. Uh, I just wanted to apologize now because I can't ever do it uh, in the middle of the, of the service. So anyway, um, if you are new, I wanna say thank you for coming out on Memorial Day weekend. Um, you have come to a great service. I believe that God is going to minister to you today. Uh, we say this at Mercy Road every week, that we believe that the church should be a hospital for sinners and not a museum for saints. And what that means is, is that no matter what you have been experiencing coming in here today, uh, it could be the best week of your life. It could, you could be the closest to God you've ever been, or you could feel so far away from God that you don't even know how you made it. Uh, we started this church for you, and we're really honored to have you here today. I also wanna welcome those that are attending online. Give them a big hand as well. We're excited to have you guys with us. Make sure that you're hanging out with the, in the chat uh, and communicating with people online there as well. Uh, it's gonna be good today. Everybody say, it's gonna be good today. Good, 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 good. So uh, we're in a series of the Book of Ruth. Uh, there's four weeks and four chapters. So we're really clever on how we line that out. Uh, so we're gonna be covering chapter four. This is our last week. And uh, it's, it's been a phenomenal, phenomenal series. Uh, Pastor Josh, you know, he cracked it open at the very beginning, and he talked about when things get hard. You know, they had a famine in the land, and Naomi and her husband, they had to flee, and they went to a, a, a neighboring uh, country. And then they married foreign women, which was taboo for Israel, right? And then all of a sudden the husband dies, and then the sons die. And then Naomi is left with one of the two daughter-in-laws returning home, and she's bitter, and she's broken. And sometimes that's where we end up in our lives, and that's when things get hard. But in chapter two, uh, things start to turn around, and she meets Boaz. She's out in his field, and Boaz provides favor to her and fills up uh, her food and sends her home and, and blesses her and takes care of her. And you start to see God is moving in this family and things are starting to, to have some hope. And Josh preached about when you need help, sometimes you just need to let God do that. And then in week three, one of my favorite weeks of the series, uh, if you have not seen week three, Pastor Mark Johnson, uh, our Anderson location uh, pastor, uh, preached last week and it was, Super funny, it was super good, inspiring. And we talked about when Ruth uh, goes to Boaz because she realizes that Boaz has the potential to be a kinsman redeemer. And we learned that a kinsman redeemer is someone who is a close relative who when somebody's husband pass away can redeem that entire family, all of the land, bring it into his home, 
uh, and marry them uh, so that the land would stay in the family. And he would redeem back all the, all the pain, all the loss. He would become the provider. And so we find out that Ruth is a kinsman redeemer for Ruth. And so she goes to him at night and she tells him, she's like, hey, would you do this? And he says, I'll do it. In fact, he doesn't just say that I will do it. He says, I'm gonna do this first thing tomorrow. By the end of the day, this thing will be settled. But there was a little bit of a cliffhanger because we find out that there's actually a redeemer that's closer than Boaz. And sometimes I think in our lives, as we are seeking God and, and we start to see God move in our lives, we get excited because we're like, oh, things are finally turning in our favor. And we get thrown off when we find out that the details look a little bit different than what we thought it was gonna look like. Has anybody ever been in that place before? So that's the cliffhanger we le we're left with. This message today, I wanna let you know who this message is for. If you are somebody who has been claiming a promise, you feel like God has spoken to you and you know what God is saying and you've been holding on to that promise and you're like, God, where are you at? Are you ever gonna move in my life? Is this thing ever gonna come to pass? Today's message is for you today. If you have been needing a miracle and you've been going through a trial and things have been tough and you have been struggling and struggling and it feels like, man, there's a famine in the land and everything around me is falling apart and you feel broken, today's message is for you. And if you feel like, man, I am just looking for God, I wanna know what God wants to do in my life, you know, maybe things aren't falling apart, but you're just eager to know, God, what is it you want me to do? And you're seeking him and you're praying and you're asking. Today, I believe God is going to speak to you today. The title of my message is Seeing God Move in Your Life. Does that sound like something we get excited about today? All right, let's turn to Ruth chapter four, verses one and two. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down just as the guardian redeemer or close relative he had mentioned in chapter three came along. And Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took the 10 elders of the town and he said, sit here, and they did so. So first thing in the morning, Boaz, he rises early because he's a farmer, right? He's got to get up real early, uh, probably before half of us have you know, even finished our last dream and he's out working, right? No, he's not out working. He's out at the gate. And the gate is significant because the gate of a city is the place where decisions are made. This is a place where the elders would meet. And if you had any problem in the town, maybe you had a dispute uh, with somebody, you would bring that to the elders and the elders would help decide those matters. And so he's going to the gate because he has a big decision to make today. He's ready to claim Ruth to be his wife. And he's hoping that this other person is going to pass up his opportunity so that he'll have a chance because Boaz is excited to do what God uh, has for him. And so if you're taking notes today, the first thing I wanna mention is we have to create margins for God to move in our lives. We have to create margins. Boaz was a farmer, believe me, he could have been doing lots of things. Many, many, many things. I'm sure that there were roosters to feed, there was plants to water, there was all kinds of things, animals to take care of. But he clears his schedule 
And the reason why he clears his schedule is because God has placed a unique opportunity in front of him and he doesn't wanna miss it. He doesn't wanna miss out on what God is doing. And so he, his calendar can be rearranged, everything can be rearranged. And this is something that has actually convicted me a lot because I'm one of those guys who wears busy as a badge of honor. Any other busy people out there here in Hamilton County? Yeah, lots of you guys, right? So, you know, I'm always busy. You know, if somebody asks me, hey, what are you doing this Friday night? Can we go out and do something? I'm like, oh, busy. I'm really busy. I wish I could. I've got four kids. My wife works on weekends. Somebody's got to take care of the kids, right? So, uh, it's real easy to get busy, but Boaz, even though I'm sure he had a lot to do, he clears his calendar and he makes time for the thing that God is doing in his life. It's also not the first time that we've seen Boaz create margins. You guys remember in chapter two, uh, for those who have been uh, part of this series, in chapter two, uh, we meet Boaz and Ruth is going into Boaz's fields and she is, she's getting the barley and she's taking it back to provide for her and her mother-in-law, Naomi. And Boaz is not gleaning or harvesting all the way to the edges of the field. He's creating space, right? He's creating margins to take care of the widows and the poor. And Ruth just happens, it says in chapter two, Ruth just happened to be in Boaz's field, just happened to show up. But he's creating margins, and because of those margins, he has this special opportunity with Ruth that comes up. You know, I uh, recently uh, had my margins decrease uh, because we took on soccer. Do we have any soccer people in the house? Can I get a big woo for the soccer families? Yeah? What about baseball? Do we have any baseball families? All right, we got a few. We had like no baseball families at 9 a.m. They were probably playing baseball. I don't know. But, uh, but yeah, you know, we just started soccer. Now, uh, my kids have not played soccer. This is their first year playing soccer. I have a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old, and a 5-year-old. Uh, all three boys are playing. And then my youngest, Esther, is three. She thinks she's playing. She just runs around and takes the ball and kicks it. And uh, she, she thinks she's the best. She is working on it, though. She probably will be our best. But anyway, we started soccer. And uh, it has created so much stress in my life, let me tell you. Uh, you think that, you know, just being a parent on the sideline is easy? I mean, I get off oftentimes at 6 o'clock. We've got a 6.30 practice. I have to get done at 6 o'clock, make sure my kids are eating, right? I've got four kids. They don't eat at the same time. They all eat one at a time. They want to make it take two hours, right? i got to get this done in 15 minutes, Okay, so uh, I'm getting that going. And then by the time I get the third one fed, I'm like, the first one, you got to get in the car, but he's reading a book. And so I got to get him off the book and get him in the car. We finally get to the soccer, the soccer games. We find out there's two games that night. So then, you know, we got one field over here and one field over there. So we're walking back and forth, trying to make sure we meet it. By the time I get to this field, they're already on break. So I got to run back to this field because they're not on break yet. So it's, it's just chaos and it's been stressful. And then we get done with the game oh, the game's not over yet. We got to go get ice cream. So then we got to go get ice cream with the team because the team gets ice cream. Finally, we get home and that's when everything settles down. Heck no, things don't settle down when you get home. They want second dinner. So then we got to start dinner again. And we got to get our showers. And then finally we get to bed. It's like 9.30. These kids normally go to bed at eight o'clock. So I am stressed out. And I need that one hour and 30 minutes to myself. So I'm feeling the stress. 
So when I read about Boaz and I see the margins that he creates, I understand the value, the value of having space. Because you know what? I've been doing a good job and spending time reading and, and spending time following God through, through reading the Bible. But what I realized this week as I was studying this is, what about your worship? What about your prayer life? See, for me, I, you know, I've been, like I said, I've been doing a good job with the reading part. That's a good way to get to know who God is, but you gotta experience him. You gotta know him. If you wanna see God move in your life, you've gotta be in his presence. You gotta allow him to fill you up like the song talks about, rest on. You gotta allow the Holy Spirit time to fill you up and to focus on him. And then you go out and you take God with you and you will be surprised at the things that God will show you when you begin to spend time with him and slow down and create the margins so that you can see what God is doing. If you wanna see God move in your life, number one, you gotta create the margins. Number two, let's turn to Ruth chapter four, verses three. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, uh, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belongs to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of those that are seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. Now, I did not think that he wanted him to do that, but he's, you know, he's kind of playing along here. You know, when you kind of want something, you kind of act like it's not, it's, it's really desirable, but really you're hoping to get it for yourself. That's kind of what he's doing here. So it says, uh, it says, if you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so that I will know, for no one has the right to do it except for you, and I am next in line. So the guy says, I will redeem it. Now, Boaz kind of throws him for a loop here because he's setting him up, right? Because he knows that when he, mar- when he takes Naomi and her property, he's also going to have to take Ruth. So then Boaz said, on the day that you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite. This is in verse five. The dead man's widow. In order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this time, the guardian redeemer said, well, then I cannot redeem it because it might endanger my own estate. You redeem it for yourself. I cannot do it. Well, Boaz is off the hook. The guy doesn't want to do it. He wants to do it. Boaz is saying yes. The other guy is saying no. Point number two is say yes to God's opportunities. Do you realize that the man who said no to what God was doing, it was actually his right to redeem Ruth? He was the closest person to her and the closest person uh, in the family. First, it would go to a brother, if there was a widow who didn't have any children, first it would go to a brother and the brother would be the one who redeems the family and brings it uh, into his own family and cares for them. Boaz is actually option number two. He's not the closest. But because this guy said no and Boaz said yes, when we read the book of Ruth, you know whose name is not mentioned? The guy who said no. The only thing that it mentions about him is that he's the guardian redeemer but he's the one that said, no, he, his name is not mentioned. We have Naomi's name. We have 
Elimelech, her husband's name. We have the kids' names. We have Ruth's name. We have Boaz's name. This guy says no, and he misses out on a God opportunity. You know, there's a lot of reasons why we might say no. And I understand because I, I, I feel busy. I feel the stress that comes with the busyness. Some of the reasons we say no is we're overwhelmed, right? Taking on one more thing, like what kind of pressure is that gonna put on me and my family, right? I got three titles now, right? What kind of stress is that gonna put on me to say yes? Other reasons are we might've had bad experiences saying yes in the past. You know, we said yes to something and, and it ended up being really hard and it cost us something. Maybe it didn't work out. Maybe it wasn't even a God thing that we said yes to and now we're protecting everything and we're saying no to all the things that are coming. Nope, 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 nope. Or, you know, maybe we're just afraid it's gonna cost us something. And that's what we read about, about this guy in this story. He was worried about his inheritance because if he was going to accept Ruth into his family, that's gonna further divide his inheritance. And he had a plan this guy had a plan for how his inheritance was gonna work out. He's like, nope, I'm gonna step back. You can have it. This goes against my plans. I wanna tell you today that God sometimes has a plan that's bigger than our plans. And sometimes it doesn't look the way that you think that's gonna look. But when you say yes to the God opportunities that he's put in your life, and you know that God is in it, God will provide a blessing and a reward unlike anything that you've ever seen. And this story is just getting started. Saying yes may cost you something. You know, uh, I recently, like I said, I started taking over this huddle network. I'm very excited about it. I'm very passionate about the huddles. I've been doing these for six years now. And it's one of the greatest uh, experiences in the church that I've ever been a part of. The, you know, the Bible talks about how, uh, the, you know, Matthew 28, the Great Commission, the one thing that Jesus asked us to do was to go out and make disciples. He didn't say to have a worship service. He didn't say to start a church. He said to make disciples. So I get real passionate about this and, and it's been so fun to be a part of. And I see people in this room right now that are either in a current huddle that I'm in or huddles that I've been in the past. And it's so rewarding to be a part of that. Sometimes saying no means you miss out on these great opportunities. And don't let your past and the things that have happened in the past stop you from what God has for your future. Don't let those hurts and those pains cause you to step back from what God is doing in your life when God has put things in front of you that are good things that he wants you to do. And I do wanna clarify one thing that just because somebody puts a label of God on it, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's what God wants you to do, but when it is something he wants you to do, we should step into that. Next up, allow God to do what only he can do. Ruth 4, 9 through 13. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. Those are his two sons. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people said, we are witnesses. Skip down to verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, 
This is so cool. This is the part we've been waiting for, the whole book of Ruth. If you've been waiting for God to set you up for a marriage, this is like the most exciting passage in the Bible, I think. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive. Mark that. Pay attention to that line right there. The Lord enabled her to conceive. And she gave birth to a son. Now the thing about Ruth that we found out in chapter one is that when she got married, she had been married for 10 years when her husband passed away. In that time, having a child was like super, 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 super important. It, it, it was all your hopes, your dreams. They were the ones that are gonna carry on your legacy and your inheritance and keep the family name going. And so Ruth had already spent 10 years married when she lost her husband. And I imagine the pain that she must have felt, the frustration that she felt when, she, when that experience took place. But one thing I think about when I look at this is would it have been possible for Ruth to be redeemed by Boaz and brought into his family if, it, if she would have had a son? Because the qualifications for being redeemed would have been that you didn't have an heir, that you hadn't had a child. And can you imagine the frustration of wanting a child and praying for a child? You know, we had to wait, I think a year and a half, and it just seemed like eternity. And many people have waited much, much, much more, much longer. She waited 10 years. But if she would have gotten the prayer answer that she probably wanted to see happen that were a part of her plans, she would have never had Boaz because she wouldn't have been qualified. And it makes me think about our own stories. What part of our stories, if we got the thing that we were asking for, when we wanted to have it happen, at the moment that we needed it to happen, if that would have been answered in our way, what possible things that God had for us would we have missed out on? Only God knows, right? Only God knows. So we look at this story, and uh, I, I wrote this down because, you know, a lot of times we think that we can control it, that we can make it happen, that if we just force something through, it'll be better. But we have to realize that we are limited by nature. There's only so much in science that we're capable of doing, but God is not. God is supernatural. So when it says here that the Lord enabled Ruth to give birth, he enabled her, that's something that only God can do. And if we control it, and we try to say, God, you gotta do it my way. It's gotta look the way that I've got it to look. We're missing out on the supernatural possibilities of what God can offer. And that means we have to trust him in a way that we have never trusted him before. Because sometimes we don't see the answer. Sometimes the promise doesn't look the way that we thought it was going to look. But we have to trust him. We have to trust him. Verse, four, uh, verse uh, 14 and 15. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given birth. And then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. 
the women living there said, Naomi has a son. Naomi is the other person that's gone through quite a lot in this story. She lost her husband. She lost two children. And that had to have been super hard. She had left her people to go to this land, and now she comes back to her people, and everything has collapsed on her. And when she comes back, she sees these same women in, verse, in chapter one. And she says, don't call me Naomi anymore because Naomi means pleasant. She says, call me bitter. Call me bitter because she's been going through so much pain and things just don't seem to get better. Man, if you feel like you have been going through something over and over and over, and it doesn't seem to get better. I want to give you hope today. I wanna to give you hope that God is a redeemer, that he comes in and he buys back all the loss and he takes us into his family and he makes us a part of his family and he makes us a part of his story. And when we lose control and we give it to God and we allow him to do what only God can do, and we trust him, we can see our bitterness turn into a blessing. And that's what Naomi had, she had a blessing. When I first got into ministry, I had uh, this, this boss that I really butted heads with. And man, it was difficult. It just seemed like everything that I did to zig, he would zag. It seemed like, you ever had somebody who feel like, man, they're just working against you. You feel like they just, you just, they just want you to fail. Uh, this, was, this was the experience that I had. And uh, for three years, um, it was just difficult. And I tried my best to honor him uh, and follow him. But what I started to realize at the end, uh, I learned from a book that I was reading by a guy named John Maxwell. And it's a book called Leading from the Middle. And one of the things that John Maxwell said is he said, you've got to let go. Uh, you need to own the things that you're called to own and let go of the things you're not. And what I realized was, is I was frustrated with the way the church was going. I was frustrated with how we did things and the people that were leaving and the people that were hurt. I was frustrated by all these things that I had no business controlling. It wasn't mine to own. It never was going to be mine to own. And no matter how hard I tried, no matter how hard I put effort into it, I could never get the results that I wanted to see because it wasn't my job. It was his job. I needed to focus on the things that I was actually over and make those things work well. And when I changed that, man, the heaviness that lifted, you know, the, you know, the, the pressures that lifted of owning all of the problems that I felt like he was causing, they lifted from me. That same thing happens in our relationship with God when we allow him to do the things that he can do, we allow him to be God and we just play our part in the story. That's how things go a lot better. You guys doing good out there? Yeah. All right, here's the conclusion. So we're gonna go to uh, uh, Ruth, Ruth 4 verse 16. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. And the women living there said, Naomi has a son and they named him Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Then this is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. 
Ram was the father of Amenadab, Amenadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, and Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. David ended up being one of the greatest kings of all time, right? That shepherd boy who's courageous, that's David. He ends up being one of the greatest leaders, one of the greatest kings, one of the most famous kings in all of history. That came from the decisions that Ruth and Boaz made to trust God to follow him. Boaz created margins. He said yes to the opportunities that God was putting in his path. And he got to be a part of a tremendous, tremendous legacy. David goes on to be a part of the genealogy of Jesus. And so the Messiah, the king of all the earth, the greatest king of all time, is also a part of this family's lineage. You know, I, uh, in leading huddles, you know, uh, it can take a lot of sacrifice to be a part of that, but it also comes with a lot of blessing. Um, one of my favorite uh, stories that I have in my huddles actually came from this last week. Um, I wanna put a picture up here of Gavin and his family. Uh, this is Gavin, he's the lead usher here uh, at Mercy Road, one of our lead ushers. And uh, you, you might see him around in the aisles helping people find seats, but he recently went on vacation. And on his vacation, they were coming back home and they'd been traveling for eight hours and they were making really good time and everything was working out perfectly when they had a flat tire. And uh, they were on the side of the road and uh, they, you know, they did what all of us would most likely do. They pulled out their phone, they started making phone calls and they called one person and they called another and then they called the next and they made another call and then another call and another call. They made about 20 calls looking for help to get this tire fixed. They spent two hours on the side of the road and it was frustrating. It was difficult. And Gavin comes back to the car after making these phone calls and uh, his five-year-old who's here on the left, uh, Grayson, he says, he says, Daddy, would it be okay if we prayed? Anybody have children that just uh, seem to know more about God than you sometimes? <laughs> So, so he's like, yeah, buddy, sure, let's do it. So they, they bow their heads and they pray. And when they said amen, they got out of the car and there was a tow truck that had pulled up and a guy was walking towards them. And he says, hey, my name is Elvis. I saw you for the last couple hours. I've been taking cars back and forth. I've probably made three trips past you. Do you need some help? What do you think he said? Oh, I've got some phone calls to make. I, I, you know, everyone's busy right now. No, he cleared his schedule, right? And he made time for what God was providing. And so he got help. So this is, this is Elvis. Uh, he's helping him out. There's Gavin. He's probably hanging up on the last guy there. I don't know what he's doing in that picture, but, uh, but he comes out and helps. They get the tire changed. They take the tire back to the shop. They put a new tire on, brought it back. And uh, the tire gets changed. And he says, you know what? You know, you've been out here all day. You know, we just want to bless you. If you just cover the tire, all the labor, everything, we'll take care of the rest of it. And so that's the end of that story. Give a big hand. But it's not the end of the story because something cool happens as a part of the story because Elvis actually means a lot to their family. Grayson was actually born on Elvis's birthday. And on his first birthday at Halloween, we've got a picture of this. 
Grayson, Grayson uh, dressed up like Elvis for his first birthday. Do you think God was trying to make a point? Do you think that God was trying to say, you know what? I'm able to do things that only I can do. Would you trust me? Would you give me an opportunity? And then he puts an exclamation mark on it and he says, see, Elvis, Elvis, Elvis. This guy's name is Elvis. God is working in all the details of your life, all the details of your life. From the start to the finish, out in the field, it just so happened to be Boaz's field, who just so happened to be a kinsman redeemer who was close to, close to Ruth. Did it? But if Ruth would have had her way, she probably would have stayed in Moab forever. Her husband would have never passed away and she would have missed out on the story of what God is doing. I say all that to say, you know, I know that we experience pain and it's not easy to understand why. There's a lot of things that we don't understand. My wife and I, uh, when our uh, three-year-old uh, was three, she was on bed rest and she was getting ready to have our third child and he was diagnosed with leukemia. And that was hard. It was hard because my wife also was out of work for almost a year and she was providing more than half our income. But you know what we didn't do during that time? We didn't step back from what God was doing because we had nowhere else to go. He was the most important thing to us. And we said during that season, we said, we are going to trust God and he's gonna be faithful to us. And he was faithful to us. And I led a huddle during that time. And I continued to lead my outpost during that time. I actually led two huddles. And I'm not sorry at all. And I love my family. But there were still more things that God wanted to use our story to do. And so we leaned in and we said yes. I want you to hear this. God was always moving and he is still moving. We just have to see what he's doing. We're gonna close here and I wanna make an opportunity for two things. One, if you feel like God is stirring you to do something, maybe it's to start an outpost, maybe it's to, you've finished a huddle, you've already completed a discipleship huddle and you would, you're like, you know what? I never started one. I'm gonna do that today. I want you to respond to him. You can come to the prayer room. You can come uh, meet me at the first step, but I want you to respond today. Encounter him during our worship time. Maybe you need to create margins for God to move. I want you to take some time during worship and listen to him. You don't have to sing all the words. Just listen to what God is doing. And the last person that I wanna make suggest is that you need to come home to God. Today is your day. Today is your day to say, God, I wanna be all in and say yes to you. With every head bowed, if that's you today, and you just feel like God's spirit has been speaking to you today, today is your day, I want you to raise your hand. Just go ahead and shoot your hand up right now and I'm gonna pray for you. If you wanna make Jesus the number one person in your life, thank you, I see you, I see you, I see you too. Today is your day, it's time to say yes. You know that God brought you here. I see you too. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much 
We thank you so much that your story is working. It's working in our lives and you are moving. You were there at the beginning, you were there in the middle and you're gonna be there at the end too. God, open our eyes to see what you are doing. Help us to create the space to slow down and connect with you. God, I pray for those that are giving their lives to Christ today. Lord, help them this week. Lord, we thank you for salvation. We thank you that we get to be a part of your family. Forgive us for the ways that we have ran like Naomi ran. And God, we pray that you would come into our lives and be our redeemer, to be our kinsman redeemer, to bring us into your family. We receive you as our savior today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen.